Let's pray for a minute. God, our Father, we thank you for allowing us to celebrate on a day like this today. And as we think back on Jesus' journey to the city of Jerusalem and deeper into his mission, I pray that you would make the meaning of what he was doing even that much more clear to us this morning. We gather with people all around the country today who stop and who think of this moment as we enter into Holy Week and as we march with Jesus toward the cross and toward the resurrection that we'll celebrate next week. People all around the world are stopping today and thinking about this moment. But I pray that you would cause us to go beyond the act of waving a palm branch to thinking about how we understand Jesus and what he was doing in that moment. I pray that you would give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive Jesus as the humble king that he presented himself as and that we would respond in a a manner that is appropriate and that fully engages all that he was revealing about his identity and about his purpose for coming into this world. Thank you that we serve a Lord who understands what it's like to go through times of isolation and brokenness and great sorrow. We thank you that the message of Jesus and the message of his kingdom is one of victory over brokenness, victory over sin, victory over all that holds us back. And I pray that you'll give us even greater joy as we move forward. Lord, we pray for those who are part of our congregation who are suffering with one illness or challenge or another. We pray that you will give them strength and hope and peace of heart and mind. We pray for those who are feeling shut in and they're still uh, not able to get out or to uh, get on the list for a vaccine. And we pray that you would give them a spirit of endurance today, knowing that we are moving forward and knowing that better times are ahead. I pray for our mission as a church that you will continually give us clarity about who Jesus is and the the hope that we offer to our neighbors and our friends and our family members. And that one by one you will speak to the hearts of people all around us and invite them into a life-changing relationship with you that leads to an understanding of what it means to be a servant of your kingdom. Thank you for meeting us here in this way and in this place and receiving our praises. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking of this as the uh, two boys, Tom and Ben, were reading Scripture. There was a young boy who was sick and he had to stay home one Sunday while the rest of the family went to church without him. And when they got home, he saw that his family members were all carrying these little palm branches and waving them. And he, he asked, what are those for? And his dad soon answered, oh, all of the people were waving them at Jesus when he arrived and entered the city. And the boy took that all in and he kind of scrunched up his face. And then he said, boy, the one Sunday that I miss church and Jesus shows up. As we'll see in a few minutes, that boy was not the only unhappy camper on the original Palm Sunday. There were some who understood what was happening as Jesus arrived and some that were absolutely upset that this event had taken place. Over the past few weeks, we've been learning that Jesus is a different kind of king, 
That point is made even more clearly as we walk through the events of this coming week with Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. We have paved the way for diving deeper into these three events from Holy Week by looking intently at the subject of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the rightful heir of God's kingdom. So the series that we're going to focus on for the next three times that we are together is simply called The Cross and the Crown. So good morning and welcome back to North River Church. This is such an important week in the life of those who love Jesus and for those who are seeking to understand Jesus and to embrace him. Welcome to those of you who are at our North River Worship Center here with me today. We're glad that you are here. And welcome to those of you who are watching online as well. I've been greatly encouraged over the past few months as many of you have invited a friend to either join us here at our Pembroke campus or you have told friends about the online service options and you've watched with them. I want you to know that there is a place for you here at North River. Whether you have been looking for a church that will refresh your faith, whether you've been away from church for a long time, or if you've never been part of a Christian church at all, there's a place for you here at North River. Every week, we are trying to strip away all the distractions so that North River becomes a safe place for you to hear a dangerous message about Jesus, who has the power to transform our lives to become the people that God designed us to become, no matter what your journey has been like so far. We have just spent five weeks focusing on kingdom unity, and today that leads into our Holy Week focus. I think of the song that we just sang a few minutes ago, Lead me to the cross. And what the people around the city of Jerusalem didn't realize on that first Palm Sunday morning is that is exactly what Jesus was doing. He was leading them toward the cross. Though they never would have chosen to want to see an event like that because the cross takes us to the power of redemption and the power of resurrection. This morning our focus is on welcoming the humble king. And I'd like to start with some Palm Sunday observations, there are five of them, that help us understand what was going on on this day and why we continue to celebrate this particular event in the calendar of of the life of Jesus. Here's the first observation. This was orchestrated by Jesus. Verse 1 of Matthew 21 says, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you that the Lord, uh, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Jesus had been heading toward Jerusalem for weeks. He knew that this was dangerous. He knew that some were looking to kill him or to arrest him. But he told the disciples all along the way that he had to go to Jerusalem. And he warned them that he would be handed over, that he would suffer, that he would die. In other words, Jesus saw this trip to Jerusalem as an essential part of his mission. So he sent his disciples to fetch fetch this donkey and her colt. Two of them specifically were dispatched and told where to go. And it's interesting that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this event. He even told them what to say. If anyone questions them about what they're doing, they were simply to say, the Lord needs them. And sure enough, Mark and Luke both record that the owners did ask, what are you doing there by untying that colt? And and the answer that the Lord needs them was all they needed to hear. This was the only time that Jesus ever rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. 
We, others, we see other scenes where Jesus arrives and teaches in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, in some of those past years, people were looking for Jesus as the festival began and, and he still wasn't there and he slipped into the, into the city secretly. But not this time. All was ready and the time had come and Jesus enters into the city in an unusual, memorable way. This was a unique entry where Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. So the first observation is that this was orchestrated by Jesus. Here's the second. It fulfilled a specific prophecy. What is prophecy? A prophecy is uh, an unfolding of some event of the future that God chooses to reveal to his people. So Matthew 21 also records this reference to the Old Testament minor prophet known as Zechariah. It says this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then Matthew quotes Zechariah, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So many times we find Jesus was more aware of the Old Testament scriptures than anybody else in his day. Kings and conquering generals were known to ride into cities on a powerful white horse. This always symbolized power and authority. And it was meant to impress and sometimes to intimidate crowds of people. Riding in on an unbroken foal of a donkey would hardly create the same impression. The foal would have been smaller, younger, and we're told that this particular foal was uh, an unbroken, meaning unridden donkey. The symbolism is anything but powerful. It is possible that riding in this way made Jesus seem more approachable instead to the people. And yet by doing this, Jesus was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Well, who was Zechariah? Why does Matthew quote this old prophet Zechariah? Zechariah is the second to the last in a group of 12 prophets at the end of the Old Testament in your Bible. We call them the minor prophets, not because they're of minor importance, but because their books, their letters, tend to be shorter than the larger major prophets. His ministry took place around 520 to 518 B.C., near the end of Israel's exile in Babylon. And he wrote specifically to encourage Jewish people who had returned to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. King Darius had, had uh, allowed people in that day to move more freely back and forth. And along with Haggai, Zechariah's message centered on encouraging these Jews to finish the rebuilding of the temple in order to prepare them for the glory of God, which was returning to Jerusalem. For that reason, the book of Zechariah is filled with visions of God dwelling with his people, warning about God's judgment if they do not clean up their act morally and, and spiritually, and with the anticipation of the Messiah who comes to set up his kingdom. The classic statement from God in the book of Zechariah is found in chapter 1, verse 3, where God says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, this is the eternal heartbeat of God. God knows that there are periods in our lives when we wander away from him and when we ignore his principles and we, we run our own way. But there is always this promise that hangs out there for those who are listening, for those whose hearts are geared toward God. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Perhaps you're watching this today and you're thinking, 
yeah, sure. God will return to me. You don't know how far I am from God. You You don't know how long it's been since I felt any real connection to God. But I would challenge you to test this out. God says, return to me and I will return to you. He can restore the human heart. He can open your mind and he can open your thinking to be able to embrace him in a new way. And he can change the software of your heart. Right away, Christians in the earliest generations of the Christian church saw references to Jesus, the king, in Zechariah's writings. So the Gospels of Matthew and John include this part of the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Theologians from John Calvin to John Newton, yeah, that John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, to the early church fathers, all wrote about the significance of Jesus coming to claim his kingdom. Even more significant than that, Jesus himself understood the prophetic impact of this moment. So this was orchestrated by Jesus. It fulfilled a specific prophecy. Here's the third observation. It unveils Jesus as the humble king, the character of the humble king. So Zechariah wrote, See, your your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Why is that such a big deal? It's because it reveals to us that Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem or come to his, his, his people on that day as a warrior or as a conqueror. Jesus understood the messaging that was behind that act of riding into the city on a donkey. First of all, it was prophetic. The manner of his, ent- his, of his entry lived up to that 500-year-old prophecy. Second, it was approachable. Meaning, we, we read about him being uh, in a low position. So the Old Testament version of this says lowly and riding on a donkey. The New Testament version says gentle and riding on a donkey. The whole point of that is that Jesus is a king who's approachable and available to his people. I have news for you. The best kind of ability is availability. And Jesus makes himself available to us. And he was sending that signal on that day. But not only was this act prophetic and approachable, it was cross-centered. Have you ever seen the back of a donkey? One of my professors from the seminary that I'm I'm working on our doctoral program and sent this picture uh, a few weeks ago and posted it, and I'd never seen this top view of a donkey, but look at the way the mane forces across. And there's a foal of a donkey right there next to his mother. And if you notice, that same cross pattern is on the back of that donkey as well. Is that just a, uh, some kind of a happenstance or an accidental reference? I don't think so. This photo reveals the cross-shaped pattern of that donkey's mane And it means that Jesus knew that by riding on a donkey and her colt, that he was saddling himself with the cross. Think of that for a moment. Palm Sunday isn't just about Jesus riding into the city on a cute little donkey. A children's story. It's about the prophetic, approachable, cross-centered king who came not to overwhelm his people with authority and power, but as the humble king who dies to save his people from the ravages and destructions of sin and the way that it destroys life. 
Some in that crowd, we are told by John's gospel, had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus just a number of weeks before. Others longed for a ruler to overthrow the power of Herod or the the power of the Roman Empire. But Jesus came as a gentle king, a humble king, so that we would know that he's approachable. My fourth observation is that this reveals the hearts of those who long for his kingdom. So Luke writes in chapter 19 of his gospel, When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Luke is telling us that this was an informed crowd. They, they knew something about the history of Jesus. They had witnessed some of the miraculous events that he had done over the past three years, but some in the crowd specifically had witnessed that raising of Lazarus four days after he had died and been put in the tomb. And first we see that they threw down cloaks, meaning their, their outer clothing, and they cut palm branches before Jesus. That also fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. On the other hand, this was a practice that was generally reserved for kings and generals. It was a way of honoring him like a very unusual guest to the city. And then we hear the cries of the crowd to Jesus that ring out from all four Gospels. Some include a few of these phrases. Some include most of them. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The word Hosanna literally means Lord save us. It was a cry from the human heart that somebody would cry when somebody else could rescue them and had the power to rescue them from a difficult situation. So in this sense, the crowd recognized that Jesus could spiritually rescue them from the dilemma that we find ourselves in in life where we cannot completely fix ourselves, we cannot perfect ourselves, we cannot bring ourselves up to the level of where God is. And so we need a Savior who can rescue us from the plight of our own self-destruction. And they cry out this word, Hosanna. They were words that literally could get somebody killed if the king were listening or if the empire was taking note. They were proclaiming Jesus as the one who carries on the reign of King David from centuries before. They were using terms that were usually only applied to God himself. And they were announcing their allegiance to their king, to this king above all others. So Palm Sunday shows that this event was orchestrated by Jesus, that it fulfills a specific prophecy, that it unveils Jesus as the humble king, and it reveals the hearts of those who long for his kingdom. And then one fifth observation It also exposes the king's opposition. In John's account of this, in chapter 12 of John's gospel, he writes, So the Pharisees said to one another, This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees were furious at hearing the cheers and the praises of the crowd. Luke recorded that they demanded that Jesus would rebuke the crowd. In other words, that Jesus would tell them to stop, that what you're doing is wrong. But instead, Jesus answers, if they keep quiet, 
the stones will cry out. What he meant that was that Jerusalem and that its, its stone walls looked forward to this day. It was beyond Jesus to rebuke the message of what God was doing. The crowd may not have fully understood just how much Jesus was king, but he knew that the prophets had foretold this day and that God had sent Jesus for this very purpose, to reveal himself as the humble king who dies for his servants. The Pharisees, for the moment, expressed a prophetic observation. Look how the whole world has gone after him, they announce. Today, the word Pharisee represents the epitome of human pride and religion gone wrong. But they were prophetically announcing what will one day happen, what the, the New Testament describes so clearly in the letter to the Philippian church. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so the Pharisees were seeing something that even the cross could not stop. Here's the big idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. Palm Sunday unveils the character of Jesus, reveals the hearts of those who long for his reign, and exposes the, enemy of the, the enemies of the king. How do you and I welcome Jesus as the humble king today? I'd like to suggest three ways. The first is to respond to his humble heart. He comes to us humbly, and he asks us to come to him humbly in return. John writes in the opening chapter of his gospel, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, or, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus clearly signaled that his arrival as king calls for a response. The Pharisees offered the response of refusal. The crowd sang out with the response of faith. Jesus calls for your faith and trust to be placed in him as our Savior, our Lord, and our King. And all of this is wrapped up in the meaning of the title Christ or Messiah. They are the same words in two different languages. It means the chosen one of God, chosen for you and for me. So how do we do that? How do we respond the way that he wants us to? It starts with a transfer of trust. That's what faith really is from trusting ourselves to figure out how to make ourselves good enough for God and instead trusting Jesus who was sent by God to make up the difference of what we lack. He does what no other saint or religious leader can do for you. He conquered sin and death by the cross and by the resurrection in order to give you and me a new life. And so he calls for us to receive him as the heir of God's kingdom and for you and for me to put our faith and to shift our trust to Jesus as our Savior. Now, if you want to secure that decision today, you can do that. You can pray a simple prayer like this. Maybe you can even whisper this along with me. Jesus, today I receive you as the king who came to die in order to free your people from the power of sin and death so that we may live a new life from this day on, I will call, you, call upon you as my Lord, Savior, and King. For only you can forgive my sins and make my life new. Amen. Now, if you respond to Jesus in a fashion like this, and if you really mean that you are putting your faith and trust in him, he will come near to you. 
He will send His Spirit into your life and He will begin to make you new from the inside out. You become responsible for following up on how your faith will grow and you need the help of a church to do that. But you're at the start and you're in a great place. Here's the second way that we respond to Jesus. Embrace His rightful reign. So it's interesting, the the praises that we hear coming from the crowd that day. Hosanna, meaning, Lord, save us. Or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, meaning we recognize that the Lord sent Jesus. That's what that statement is saying that is repeated every year at Palm Sunday. And we sing songs like crown him, crown him. Why? We sing only to honor people we love or to sing about great events in our lives. And so this applies to Jesus. We sing because we love him and because we are responding from the heart emotionally and viscerally. And we start by calling out praises that fit a day like Palm Sunday. So I want to start with those of you who are here in the room. Let's let's try out two of those praises as if we were there that day. Just say with me, Hosanna, yell it out, Hosanna. It means, means, Lord, save me. And he will. Here's a second one. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's do that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When you do that, you are receiving him as sent by God, not just as somebody who shows up in the pages of an ancient book, but as the Lord who was sent for you and me. And we embrace his rightful reign. And we acknowledge him as Lord of life, the one who we follow and learn from today. But here's the third way that we can respond to him. Resist his enemies. You might be saying, Paul, where are you going with this one? Well, in the little book of James, toward the end of the New Testament, James wrote, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So you and I might as well get used to knowing that Jesus always has enemies in every age. And the Bible is presented within this picture of a cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and his sworn enemy, the one who tries to take him down. But when you resist the evil one and his impulses, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, the evil one will flee from you and you have nothing to fear. The reason? As you draw near to God, God draws near to you and the power of God through Christ lives in you. Palm Sunday unveils the character of Jesus, reveals the hearts of those who long for his reign, and exposes the enemies of the king who despise the cries that come on a day like Palm Sunday. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to add our voices to the faithful over the many, many years who have praised Jesus not only on that day but on many other days like this as we see him on his way to Jerusalem. Thank you for allowing us to serve the humble king who dies that his servants might live. Give us this new life and help us to fully live the life that you give and to do this in Jesus' name. For it's in his mighty name that we pray today. Amen.